Uh, genocide is a new word combining the Greek word genos, genos meaning race or group, with the root of the Latin sedere meaning to kill. A report says that his regime is responsible for crimes against humanity. The one and only Holocaust. Six million innocent people, men, women, children, babies, sent to their deaths. Serious abuse, with the state showing little or no recognition of even the most basic human rights. I became interested in genocide because it happened so many times. Many wonder what it will take to bring this violence to a halt. Basic human rights be given the protection of international law. The killings in Cambodia, the killings in Rwanda, the killings in Bosnia, the killings in Darfur. And we are haunted by the atrocities that we did not stop. This is Atrocity Prevention Monthly, a podcast by The Sentinel Project. Well, hello. Welcome back to uh, Atrocity Prevention Monthly. This is Christina. I'm again joined by Tim and Chris. You both were on the last podcast, uh, which was a Una Hakika update. This is kind of an extension of that, but we're looking at technology for humanitarian purposes. And so we're actually going to focus on our current um, project going on, Una Hakika, um, and how WikiRumors plays a part in that. And so, um, first of all, though, there's been a lot going on, again, in the news. This is always typical, of course. Uh, But current event, uh, something that's going on is the Ebola kind of crisis. I don't know if we should call it a crisis. I I don't know how to categorize it, but um, people... Uh, in some places would say it, in, it indeed is a crisis, particularly in Africa. Um, so it's been in the news. It's been going around for a good few weeks now. I actually saw it in the news months ago. Um, it was showing up on BBC. And I noticed that uh, really in North America, it wasn't really showing up on any news sources. But now in the past, what would we say, two months, it's been showing up. Um, and particularly because there has been a case where, um, someone died in Texas with Ebola and now there's a nurse that's actually, um, been infected with it and she's suffering with Ebola at the moment. So because of that, it's kind of opened the door in North America, but in fact it had been going on, uh, going on in, uh, Africa for quite a while where it was spreading and, and there were serious problems going on there and still continue to go on. And the reason why it's important for us is because uh, with the Sentinel Project, with the work that we do, uh, we look at misinformation and we also have the challenge of field work. And what comes with field work is that challenge of disease and, you know, everything that comes with it when you're actually going to Africa and doing field work, which, which is what's happening right now. You guys are going to Kenya. You've been there a good few times. And um, actually, we've had a discussion in the last podcast about you know, um, a few of our Central Project members actually becoming sick. Chris, you had malaria. Tim had dengue. So it's it's relevant to us to kind of discuss Ebola. And um, what I actually was reading McLean's. Um, McLean's, this is, what issue is this? What month is this for? Why is it not telling me? Meh. I don't know where it is here. Anyway, it says why Ebola is winning, who's in charge of stopping uh, global pandemics. It says no one. So, uh, in fact, this isn't necessarily, the articles in here weren't necessarily about the miscommunication aspect of Ebola, but it did talk a lot about what's going on on the ground and uh, the charities that are having to take up, you know, dealing with the outbreak. Um, And it's kind of talking about, you know, the stats are quite scary, sure, um, but, um, 
I just kind of wanted to discuss, they're kind of saying in this that, um, just as a general uh, information about it, they're kind of saying that, you know, the World Health Organization in Africa hasn't been able to properly um, respond to the crisis in Africa. Um, There's kind of reasons for that. They don't have enough um, kind of resources at their disposal. They're not properly funded. Apparently their budget has been capped, frozen for a few years. So, you know, to in order to deal with a lot of th- these sorts of crisis crises, you kind of need good leadership and organization. They're kind of saying that the World Health Organization hasn't necessarily been doing that very well at all. Their response to the Ebola crisis has been, in fact, slow um, for quite a while. Um, the the World Health Organization has actually said that their purpose is not necessarily to stop it. It's that they need to organize everyone else and all the charities involved to stop it. And that's who's really picking up the slack. And um, in this article, they kind of discuss the the lack of response from, you know, North America and kind of the West towards the Ebola a situation in Africa, and that now they're kind of talking about it. Um, Canada has actually pledged to give quite a bit um, to the crisis. So... Um, can, it says Canada has contributed $35 million, including $1.7 million to MSF, which is the main nonprofit organization that's handling the situation. So anyway, uh, that's what's been going on. I think what's the stat as of now? I think it's way over. It's way over 5,000 people that I think have died um, from Ebola, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, so and countless others have been treated. Um, and in fact, there's, so to talk about miscommunication, Chris, we were kind of talking beforehand that you think it's kind of, and like anything, you know, kind of blown out of proportion. There's this thing about how, you know, the second we hear it, we freak out and everyone just kind of goes, uh, and, and it's part of the miscommunication aspect. And in fact, there is an article in this McLean's that says, how safe are you? Um, and this doctor, and it was actually mentioning that, you know, it's not that contagious when you compare it to other things like measles and, and whatnot. So, in fact, they're kind of saying that for us in North America, we don't have to be too worried about it. There's actually other things that we should be worried about. And influenza, we said, you know, kills people all the time c- continuously. And it's more of a threat to us here. But the issue is in, in Africa, it's quite dire. And they're, they really need help over there to deal with it. So, Chris, what was the miscommunication aspect that you were were kind of looking at? Uh, yeah, well, in any any kind of crisis situation, when people are are living in you know fear and per- danger, whether real or perceived, and uh, you also do have a lack of, of genuinely accurate information, rumors start to to spring up, and this is certainly something you can see on on the international level uh people because they know i I travel to uh somewhere in africa fairly regularly are always asking me about ebola and the ebola threat and that sort of thing and and you can see that there's a a real sort of misperception here on uh, just how much of a a threat that it actually is Uh, partly because ebola is such a, a media friendly um you know, it's such a media-friendly disease because it's scary and, and, and so on, and it's it's highly lethal if you do get it. Uh, it's not to say it's necessarily being misrepresented in and of itself in the media, but a lot of people are getting a, a, a disproportionate sort of view of it. So 
Um, you know, you, you just mentioned the, the number, roughly 5,000 people having been killed by Ebola at this point. Uh, not too long ago, I had a, a conversation just casually with someone here who asked me uh, how I could possibly think of going to an Af Africa at a time like this when millions of people are dying every day from Ebola. Uh, I, you know, and, and I, I actually had a, not, an, not an argument, but had a little bit of a difficulty explaining to this person that not millions of people were dying every day of Ebola, because uh, probably by this point, that means there would be nobody left on the entire continent of Africa. Um, and, and, you know, there are those sorts of misconceptions here. Now, imagine, uh, you know, how much more intense uh, or how much more problematic that same kind of effect is when you go to a place like Liberia or Sierra Leone or anywhere in that region where people actually do see people around them, you know, getting Ebola, dying of Ebola, maybe people they know. They also don't have access to reliable information um, in the same way that people in developed countries do. Uh, who, you know, really ought to know better about something like this if they truly care to learn about it. So, yeah, there's been a big issue with uh, my understanding, and it's not overly detailed, is that there has been a big issue with uh, misinformation in a lot of the uh, West African countries affected by, by Ebola. People just, um, you know, succumbing to rumors, some rumors being about, for example, that Ebola isn't a real thing. It, it's a hoax, perhaps, uh, put together to uh, achieve whatever end. And so in, in some cases, I think it was in Liberia or Sierra Leone, uh, there was at least one case of, uh, you know, an angry mob attacking uh, a care center for Ebola uh, victims because they thought the, the medical staff there was actually harvesting people's organs. Um, there were other cases where, uh, at least one case where a public health team uh, was uh, killed while visiting a, a village doing, I think, public education. Um, but... There, a rumor started that they had some sort of ulterior and much more threatening sort of purpose for being there, and the inhabitants of the village uh, killed six or seven people who were actually there to help them. Uh, those are just a couple of examples of the kind of thing that uh, that's happening there. And that's the same dynamic that's driving that is the same kind of thing that we see in, in the Tana Delta, really, uh, with Una Hakika. You know, people living in a, a very tense situation where they either their lives are in danger or they perceive their lives to be in danger there's some kind of you know persistent threat at the same time they don't really have reliable information on what's happening around them and it's it's very fertile ground for rumors uh yeah so i think just to kind of wrap that up the the bottom line or one of the takeaways i have from this is that misinformation isn't unique to where we're working it's not unique to conflict uh situations uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of the lessons that we're learning with Una Hakika could be applied in many other contexts, not just conflict situations. So maybe in a public health context or in a general development context. So further down the road, uh, the kind of situation that we're seeing with, um, you know, with Ebola could be a, a potential uh, sort of avenue for expanding Una Hakika or at least sharing our, our learnings with other people such that they could do something similar to address you know, the same kind of issues elsewhere. That was actually really interesting and well said. Uh, so so moving on then to Unakika, as Chris has kind of brought into this uh, conversation, Unakika is currently our project going on in the Tana Delta. We're trying to essentially fight rumors uh, and stop conflict from kind of escalating. Uh, stop 
kind of a rumor escalating into conflict, I should say. And so um, part of this to uh, topic of technology, technology is so important, uh, especially today. Of course, I don't need to tell you that. Um, but in terms of humanitarian purposes, it's vital. Um, and this is a huge part of what defines the Sentinel Project. Um, we're quite innovative in that way, and um, it's what sets us apart. And so... Uh, we have Tim here actually to discuss uh, WikiRumors, which is a software that's used um, when in our project Unahokiga. So, um, Tim, if you could kind of discuss how you came up with the idea of WikiRumors um, and how you kind of developed the software. Right. Well, WikiRumors was uh, was developed um, specifically to meet our needs in uh, in the Tana Delta. Um, we have built software in the past that, that we just kind of uh, came up with Blue Sky and then found uh, application for it. But in this case, we clearly had a need for, for something to manage the data intake from, uh, from our fieldwork in Kenya. Um, so we came up with the idea of WikiRumors and built the Una Hakika campaign on top of it. Um, yeah, a number of interesting things about the WikiRumors software. Um, because it was uh, a consequence of our work in, uh, in TANA, uh, it's uh, it's very friendly to um, communities with a cellular infrastructure, mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, as a result, uh, a lot of the, in fact, I would say the vast majority of information that goes into it is is from um, people texting into our short code, mm -hmm. with the remainder being being word of mouth. Um, so since we've rolled it out, and and you could. Uh, build an instance of, of uh, wiki rumors it's it's uh, open for for download it's free uh, on github anybody can pull it down and, and uh, put up their own instance uh, since we deployed it uh, in Tana Delta as uh, una Hakika um, we've got quite a bit of data starting to flow through it um, and uh, we're starting to look at at some of the resolution uh, statuses uh, of rumors that that uh, that are running through it. So we're noticing that, uh, not entirely surprisingly, um, the biggest slice of rumors going through it are confirmed, are validated to be false, um, and uh, followed by uh, rumors that are impossible to verify, mm -hmm. and then others that that are that are true. Um, so yeah, we're continuing to to pull data. As I said, the, the data set is still small because it's a new new campaign for us. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we have other software that we've, we've been running for longer, like our uh, hate-based software, which mm -hmm. has now generated quite a bit of, of data. We're uh, just shy of 200,000 um, sightings, hate speech sightings globally, uh, which is why we can say uh, definitively that we are the world's largest uh, collection of uh, structured, multilingual, usage-based hate speech. I add all those qualifiers to give it some meaning. Um, <laughs> sure. okay. So, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to, to further great things from uh, Unahekika and WikiRumors. Right. So if anyone's interested, you know, listening to this, you can go to www.unahekika.org. And this is where you can see uh, WikiRumors at work. Um, and so it's actually quite interesting. There's on the left-hand side of the page under Unahekika. There's actually something that says recent rumors, and then it says most common rumors. You can click on both, and I'll actually show you what comes up is um, each rumor is there, and it tells you when it was updated. And so just explain how it works in terms of, so what happens is, is that, is it that people are able to, people actually just, you know, regular people from Kenya are texting in, 
or is it that they're telling our ambassadors there essentially what's going on and they're texting in who is actually doing the texting or letting us know of the rumors right so we have um we have staff in kenya um who liaise with community ambassadors and the general public and uh, they take reports by sms and uh and telephone or word of mouth and then they key that into wiki rumors um, obviously, you can go on to the, the, the uh, sorry, into Unahakika. You can go directly on um, and put in rumors yourself, but we, uh, we obviously found that there wasn't a huge user base with uh, desktop web access. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, it's coming in through our, our staff there who are putting it manually into the site. Right. So that's exactly what they're doing. So they're putting it manually in. So what you can do is you can, you can actually click on each rumor. And then it kind of sums up the rumors. So, for instance, it says county leaders are so biased, they only visit villages with their tribesmen. And for what this says is that this rumor is new, uninvestigated, and it's assigned to uh, Christine, who's in the Tana. Tana, right? Christine is in the Tana? John is is in the Tana, and Christine is in Nairobi. So she's there, and she'll be looking into that. And then they update it, right? They update each rumor as time goes on. Um, and and, and, th- and that is one of the harder ones that you're looking at to, to validate. Yeah. You know, the, the uh, accusations of bias are, are right. really tricky. very but difficult. The, but there are a number of rumors in there that are quite definitive and, and, and easy to prove or disprove. You know, if an right. attack happened in this place on that date or, you right. know, pending attack in the next 12 hours and time right. passes and nothing happens. Well, it's really interesting because then it goes, it has the rumor, then it has a priority. So you even have it based on low, medium, or high priority and then the status that's all laid out for you first when you click on recent rumors or most common rumors then you can click again like i said click on f- into each rumor essentially and it'll give you updated information even some of them have comments so there's some that will say confirmed true and there's a reason why so this is quite good. It's it's all backed up. Uh, you can so there's it says uh, tension high in Garsen as heavily armed security personnel are seen all over patrolling the area. So then it goes. This rumor is confirmed true and is of medium priority. Here's why: there was regular police patrol in the interest of security. People were fearful as they are just recovering from trauma either caused by violence or police brutality in operation, and some fear possibility of possibility of terrorists hiding in the communities like this is quite good this is extensive you know to get a reason why is great um so what are we trying to do with all of this so how have we what have you done in terms of you have some statistics there where you have everything kind of it's new but you have interesting statistics right tim so yeah we're 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 trying to we're trying to draw some conclusions over time about the nature of rumors that come in uh and, and kind of what the, the geographical dispersion pattern is, mm-hmm. um, both before and, and after you, you uh, ascertain a status, whether they're true or not. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of really interesting things to be found about how rumors move and, and mutate and migrate within, within a community. Um, and uh, th- that's one of the reasons that we're not only capturing um, the, the substance of a rumor, but who specifically heard that rumor. And, and I, I'd say the most important data point in all the stuff that you just talked about are the number of sightings. Yeah. You know, the number of sightings and where those sightings are. Yeah. So, and that's exactly what I just clicked on. So I clicked on most common rumors. And there's a list that shows up again. And it says, it's a bit different now when I'm looking at this. So it says rumor and then to the side is sightings. And you'll see a number beside each rumor. Um, it also has the date. So it'll say sightings. And the first one is actually 25 sightings of this this one rumor 
which is incredible. Um, and then, you know, we go further down with 14, 12, 11. But this is great. Like, you're able to see how many, in fact, have essentially saw the same thing or heard the same thing and, and you know, coming together. And it's it's quite good. And you guys are able to actually respond. There, Tim, you... Um, you responded to this actually as well. You posted a message with a, uh, a website to it. So it's quite good. You guys are able to respond. And even though Tim, you're here, you're able to add something to it at the same time, which is great. Um, well, I guess what, what we're hoping is that as much as I love seeing the data come in and, and seeing those numbers come up, um, we also want to be able to intercept the, those rumors before yeah. they get out of control. Exactly. And, and keep them from spreading exactly. the community. So, and I can see, so that's pretty much, it's quite easy to use. This is very easy, user-friendly. It's easy to understand what's happening here. Um, what would you say, Christine, even your mom could use it? Yeah, she could. <laughs> there you go. She could. She could understand this. Sorry, Mom. Uh, she could understand this. It's true. I mean, if something came out to me and it was all complicated, I'm, I don't know if necessarily I'd be willing to kind of click through it, you know. Um, this makes it very easy for us to see what's happening. And you even have, you know, if... It has, there's a link to about wiki rumors. So for people to understand how it's working, um, it's great. Um, and in case you need any help with it, there's, um, we have that on there as well. So, um, you can report a rumor right on there. It says you can click and, and report a rumor, which is very interesting. And so what about, how about some challenges? Have you guys experienced certain challenges with this? software with this technology and what we're trying to do yeah i mean i think i think you can look at a few different classes of challenge um so clearly we've deployed this in an environment where um we can get a lot of data relatively easily through um word of mouth and through uh, people texting to us there there are a variety of other areas you know or other socs where this you know would not be uh, as effective and, and we'd have to find other ways to, to get data into the system. Mm -hmm. um, it's also, it's a bit of a challenge to, to draw conclusions until you have a pretty sizable data set. Um, I, I can start making some very interesting, well-informed observations from our hate-based data because it is such a huge data set, right. but I'd be a little cautious Skeptical. about, yeah, jumping to any conclusions based on what we, we have here. Um, yeah, I'd say those, those are the primary challenges. I mean, the, the, we're also very cognizant, we were cognizant when we built the um, built the application that we wanted to make sure that we also weren't stoking the fires mm -hmm. um, by you know if you hear uh, if you hear a rumor and then you you know let everybody know hey listen the the uh, the rumor that your community is going to be attacked tonight is absolutely untrue well everybody's going to get all all uh, yeah. concerned that they hadn't heard it before and now now there's uh, at least a possibility that's true because people are talking about it right. so we, that's also a challenge that we've had to be a little bit careful about how we we um, we broadcast the stuff that we're capturing right. And we're quite realistic, I would say, uh, very realistic in terms of there's some rumors where you just say it says it's hard to prove this. It's hard to prove whether it's true or not. It's just impossible. So, I, I mean, that's quite realistic rather than just saying yeah or no and just kind of generalizing or assuming something. Whereas there's, a, there's some rumors where it just says, you know, um, we don't have enough evidence to prove this um, and we, we're not sure. Um, like it says, impossible to verify. So um, it's very interesting. And Chris, I wanted to know whether you think this is what you envisioned and that you're happy with the progress and how things are going. 
Yeah, I am pretty happy with how things are going, actually. So we're officially a year into this project as of um, tomorrow. I think tomorrow is the day that we uh, signed on the dotted line for the funding to start it. So it's actually, it's really been less than a year that Una Hakika has been up and running in terms of the infrastructure, uh, you know, the, the short code for people to be able to text in and the staff being in place and having a, a reasonably large subscriber base and, and having established procedures for verifying rumors and all that sort of thing. So it's still quite, quite early on uh, for us. I would really say even six months uh, since, you know, everything got officially set up. And considering that pretty short time frame, I think we've made some some good progress. So, for instance, when you were looking at the uh, the list of the most common rumors, uh, for, a, for a long time, you know, we had a very sort of flat distribution of, of sightings. So those 140-something uh, rumors, you know, let's say that Tim cited, uh, most of them would say they had one or two sightings each. So basically somebody reported in that I heard this rumor, and then nobody else would report in on the same thing. Uh, you know, and then a couple, there were a couple of major incidents in the area, and we started to see um, a, one or two rumors with a lot of sightings, like that one that has 25, uh, but it would still drop off quickly, you know, 25 sightings for this one rumor, and then all the others were, you know, one or two sightings each. And now it's starting to, to start of, uh, starting to sort of stack up. Uh, we're seeing a lot more of those, you know, double-digit sightings of individual rumors, and that's a very good sign because that means that we have uh, more people engaging with what we're doing. Uh, and I think it's a function of a couple of things. One being just our subscriber base is growing. So we've got uh, approximately 600 people now subscribed to Una Hakika. That's including our 200 uh, ambassadors. And 600 uh, is a number I'm actually quite happy with. It might sound low at first, but when you put it into the context of the local population, um, I did a did some calculations the other day, and this actually puts us at around, uh, I think, one in 65 of uh, the adult uh, members of the Tana Delta population um, who also would likely to be mobile phone uh, subscribers. Because it's, there are only around 100,000 people in the area. Actually, around half of those people are under the age of 15. It's a very young population. Uh, and then around 80% of the remainder are um, are actually uh, mobile phone users, according to our survey. So we've got a, a pretty good proportion of those, and we're looking to actually triple that. So hopefully we'll have you know, close to 1 in 20 people uh, subscribing to Luna Hakika, which is a really great penetration rate for a, a service of this kind. Uh, so that's one reason I think we're starting to see more of those sightings. And the other is trust. I, I think our, our brand is, is building locally, and a lot of people see value in Una Hakika. Uh, so there's, they trust us and they see a, a reason or a benefit to engaging with the system, to reporting rumors. And there have been a couple of incidents uh, from this previous, uh, or from the past few months over this summer, where we actually learned of uh, particular events. Uh, in one case, there was a, a cattle raid between two villages, and in another case, there was a, um, a what probably could be characterized as a terrorist attack on a police station where around 10 people were uh, massacred. Uh, we found out about both of those uh, at least something like two or three hours before the local authorities did because they were being reported to us by people in our network. 
uh, rather than the police or whoever you know is responsible in that area. So the fact that people are coming to Unahakika with things like that, um, rather than you know going to the their own government or the police, uh, I think says a lot about where we stand. And that's actually gone a long way towards um, helping us to to sort of improve relationships with the local authorities too, because we have a a developing capability that they don't uh, seem to have. So a lot of good, uh, a lot of good signs that way. Uh, the the challenging thing is to measure what the impact is actually being. Um, so in terms of, uh, you know, we, we can certainly look at the numbers and see that uh, we've been able to verify a certain number of rumors as being true or false or or what have you. Uh, but still being able to know how we've changed people's attitudes, if at all, towards rumors. Uh, if we've decreased the level of fear or, or you know, distrust in the area, uh, or if we've actually uh, managed to, to contain or to stop individual rumors is a lot harder to, to really say. Um, not impossible, I think, but that's something that will, will definitely require a, lo a longer period of time to do. But overall, considering the early stage we're at, uh, I'm very happy with how things are going. Well, if nothing else, we've put to bed the rumors that uh, we are in the employ of the CIA. Right, that is true. Yeah, we dispelled, uh, and some other people nicely dispelled some rumors about us too, so that's good. Although I don't think that flying UAVs there is going to maybe help with that. <laughs> who, who said that? Who, who dispelled the rumor, though? This was, uh, this was a rumor when, uh, when we were in uh, Kenya uh, last time around. Uh, that we heard uh, secondhand through uh, some of the, lo the locals in Garsan that we were uh, there on a mission for the CIA. Yeah, yeah. yeah the the police uh, were actually asking around about us too. They were investigating us for for that, which is ironic because we were actually there harvesting organs. No. And yet <laughs> those <laughs> idiots. <laughs> they don't know anything. Get it right. Yeah, I shouldn't be laughing, but um, so. How did they? F how did how did you secure your role? Essentially, that you're non-CIA. How did you get that? Oh, uh, we didn't really do anything, to be honest. I think they just realized that they were being silly. I, I think that was largely a product of uh, at least the police involvement, whatever level that that came to, was just a product of incompetence and, and boredom, frankly. Goodness. Well, I can definitely say you're not CIA. Uh, <laughs> we're definitely not CIA. Do you watch Homeland? You don't watch Homeland? Jeez. You gotta watch Homeland. I've been bugging you forever to watch that show. I know it's just a show. Okay. I don't want any CIA people to come at me and say, don't even <laughs> say that. Um, but so it's interesting because Tim, are you happy with the, the progress of, Wik of Unahukika and Wiki Rumors? Are you happy with it? Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm always thrilled whenever uh, anything that we've built is actually starting to generate data. I get excited by, by, by data um, and, and just the fact that it has uh, actual applicability. It's, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's wonderful to build innovative things and it's wonderful to, to build the Sentinel Project's brand on, uh, on, on the notion of building stuff that, that uh, hasn't been used before in, um, in uh, humanitarian aid, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, um, you really want to see that that what you're building is is useful mm -hmm. um, because if it isn't there's there's uh, you kind of question the point of it people there, there's a, a tendency I think to question uh, still remarkably uh, the role of, of technology in um, in our work 
um, as though you know we were saying that technology was a panacea for for all that that uh, cannot be accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, and and quite the contrary, I think this what what we've done with Una Hakika proves that that you can get a, a, a real marriage between enabling technology and a, a community of interested and engaged participants. Right. Right. I think um, there's a lot to learn from this, so um, right. it's quite it's quite interesting. I think that um, you know you guys will have a lot to say in the future about this to teach people in the future about this, which is is incredible. Um, Tim, great job, honestly, uh, really good work. Um, you are in fact a genius because <laughs> you know how many people can say that they've been able to do this. You know, it's it's rare, and you should be commended for your work. Um, can, can I get a copy of this tape? Oh, sure. Go right ahead. <laughs> uh, definitely should be commended for your work. You should win a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> they were handing those out last <laughs> like week, those right? those other bums. <laughs> <laughs> those other people, they got nothing. <laughs> but, uh, well, I mean, I'm sorry, Al Gore getting it. Come on now. Sorry, Al Gore, but uh, I don't agree with it at all. But that was a few years ago, right, I think. Um, so, yeah. So, Tim, great work. Um, so moving on to another area of technology that we're kind of moving into, well, there's been discussion about this, uh, for a while, uh, and now I'm actually really excited to hear that we're about to purchase a UAV, mm-hmm. a drone, yep. which is great. A it's a fact. He allows me to say this cause I double checked with Chris to say, are you sure you're going to buy this? And he said, yes, we're definitely going to have this. So it's great. Um, UAV stands for Unmanned Aerial Vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. All right. I knew that. Just double checking. Um, And so this is really great news. So what is going on there, Chris? Uh, We just figured it was about time. We've talked about this for quite a a while. The idea that UAVs could be be used for civilian protection in, you know, mass atrocities or or uh, conflict-type scenarios. And so it's something that for a couple of years – at least I've been writing and talking about. And uh, I guess I – and it's something that definitely catches people's attention. They, they find it very interesting when we talk about all of our various, uh, you know, technology sort of projects and whatnot. This is the one that that audiences at least usually respond to the most and people want to know the most about. Um, yeah, so I, I guess we just got to the point where we realized that uh, – enough talking and writing had been done. I was tired of just sort of saying this is a a neat idea and then leaving it at that. And I guess in the past we'd always hoped that we would have sort of the resources before the hardware and so on, and and that uh, isn't really how it worked out. So now we're kind of going the other way and, uh, you know, definitely going in sort of at the lower end of the, the spectrum in terms of what's available out there for UAVs. But we're investing a bit of our money into getting something uh, that will still be of use, and we're going to field test it in the Tana Delta um, for doing things like, uh, you know, local area uh, patrols around villages and so on to provide security for them and uh, an early warning of, of, let's say, approaching uh, armed groups. So that's the that's the idea uh, behind what we're doing, and yeah, we're we're moving on it now. So the hope is to have, uh, or the intent is to have field tested something like that by the end of the year as kind of a proof of concept uh so then we can go out afterwards and say you know here's a thing it's not just an idea anymore it's something that we've actually done on a small scale and uh there are there's potential to it 
And so let's see, you know, what we can do with more resources and more advanced technology. So that that's kind of where we're at. It's uh, it's a pretty exciting time, definitely, to be able to, you know, actually, uh, actually do this kind of thing and actually sort of plant our flag as the, as the people doing, you know, things with UAVs in the the, the civilian protection realm. Because definitely they've found applications elsewhere, like disaster response, um, conservation, especially like anti-poaching patrols and that sort of thing. So, you know, if people are using them to, uh, to protect endangered animals, why not endangered humans? There's, there's a lot to be learned here, and, uh, and as much as people like sort of talking about it and theorizing about it, and I think a lot of people are cautious, uh, overly cautious because of the potential risks involved, uh, it's time for somebody to just just do it and start learning those lessons and answering some of those questions. So here we are. It's going to be you answering those questions now. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So when are you? So when are you going back? You're hoping to have this before you go back to Kenya again, right? So what's your plans? We were kind of talking about this. It's not set in stone, but what are your plans now in terms of going back and trying this out? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So um, you're right. We're, we're going back fairly soon, and the intent is to test this out when we are there on, on our next visit. And, uh, and so we'll be acquiring a small, uh, a small UAV of some purpose or of some sort, which can be used. Well, I say of some sort. We have one in, in mind, and uh, it'll be able to be used for uh, capturing uh, aerial footage, uh, both during the night or day and night, and uh, we'll be we'll be field testing that essentially. A part of the sort of the the test is less focused on the technical aspects, although that certainly is an, is an element of it. Uh, but is also on how people react to it because I think that's going to be a big factor. And that certainly is a big factor with any technology as part of any project like this. Um, but especially one like UAVs, which are pretty unfamiliar to people in a place like Tana. Um, you know, they knew what phones were before we started Una Hakika. Una Hakika might have been a new use for phones, but they, they knew what they were before. As were UAVs, that's something new and something that could be perceived as threatening. So I think we're going to have to be careful in that way and keep an eye on public perception. Um, we did actually do a sort of an informal survey through SMS uh, before and, uh, and asked around 200 people how they felt about uh, the idea of uh, flying cameras is how it was phrased to make it sort of translate, I guess, uh, into the local um, you know, understanding. And uh, so this idea of flying cameras for protecting, you know, villages from threats, 93% uh, of respondents said that they were, uh, they were positive towards that. And we talked to a number of local officials, both from the government and, uh, and from NGOs there like the UNDP and the Red Cross. And they, the local representatives for those organizations were all quite favorable towards what we're doing. So we have we have an inclination that, um, you know, with proper communication, people will be will be favorable towards what we're doing. But until we actually, you know, show up and sort of show people what it is and talk to people about it and uh, and see how they react, we we won't know. So we'll be keeping it on a fairly small scale to start with, and then uh, you know, based on what happens, both technical and non-technical, and so on, uh, we'll be kind of going from there. 
And I think we'll have to build up uh, protocols about when to use it and when not to use it and, and being aware that uh, I, I don't remember checking what the flight time was on this, but I know a lot of these are, are pretty pretty limited flight time. So uh, at, at what, what's the trigger point for putting it up? And Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point. Like, uh, like I said, a lot of the uh, challenges here are not necessarily technical. We're not building something new in this case. We're just employing an existing product. But uh, the technical limitations of that dictate how we use it um, or will influence how we decide to use it. So things like when does it fly and how long does it fly for and, you know, what are the conditions under which we, we decide to, to fly it are important. Because uh, the one that we're purchasing, it's a, it's a multi-rotor, so it's essentially functions like a, a helicopter and it's very energy intensive. So on a full charge, it can only stay in the air for maybe 25 minutes at most, which is mm -hmm not enough time, you know, to pr provide persistent overwatch uh, 24 hours a day of a particular area, it would have to be used reactively, uh, you know, in response to maybe a, a reported threat uh, or, you know, used for patrols at sort of randomly scheduled times during the day as a to in order to try and have a deterrent effect on any threats. Um, or, you know, at the very least, we'll, we'll learn some of those those things about it, for uh, which we can then apply in the future when we have more capable hardware that can actually stay in the air for a longer time, uh, have a longer range, et cetera. So, yeah, there, there's a there's a lot to be learned. Not once again, not just about the technology itself, but the how it's used, how to employ it. Well, then, we have a lot to see in the future. There's a lot going on. Uh, I think that the Sentinel project is, we're at a particularly good place. Um, uh, probably the best place I would say uh, you've been in definitely for sure. Um, and it's thanks really to all your hard work, Chris and, and people like Tim who are, like I said, geniuses, you guys think of things you're getting essentially stuff done, which is good. You're not just sitting around doing nothing. So you guys uh, really need to be commended for all your hard work. And so we'll kind of talk back. We'll come back to this later, of course, in future podcasts about, you know, what has gone on in Kenya since the use of this UAV and how, how it's going. Uh, and especially wiki rumors, we'll come back to this because it, like we've said, uh, Tim has mentioned that this is fairly new. Um, but the numbers are quite good. Our stats are quite good. How, you know, how many do you, 600 subscribers? That's incredible. I didn't actually expect the number to be that high, to be honest. No offense, but I didn't expect it to be that high. So it's actually quite good. Um, for the, and it's only been a year that really this has started. So, um, a lot going on. So we'll come back to this in the future. That's it for now. Thank you so much, Tim, for being here. And Chris, Mwah. thanks. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I'll, I'll just add uh, as a final note, if anybody uh, is particularly intrigued by our uh, UAV work uh, and is following us uh, on, on our website, we actually are taking contributions now, fundraising contributions to support our work. Oh, very with, good. Uh, yes, good idea to mention that. Very good, Tim. Uh, so, yeah, definitely check us out, thecentralproject.org. Check out unahukika.org. Uh, please help us out. Donate to us. We're doing a lot of good work, clearly, as you can see. Um, and uh, thank you so much for listening. I'll see or talk to everyone next time. Bye. Please visit our website at www.thesentinelproject.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stop genocide. Or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash sentinelproject.